After Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, he went out uh, into the desert, uh, the Gospel of Luke tells us, for 40 days, and there he was fasting. And while he was there, the, the enemy came to him and strongly, heavily tempted him to use the power that he had as the Son of God, to use it in a selfish way before he began his journey to go out among the people and share who he was and display his power. And so Jesus began his ministry going from town to town and place to place. And thankfully, he did not, he did not uh, give in to any of those temptations. Instead, he began to do exactly what God had called him to do. And the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 4 says he did so because he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. In, in, in Luke's Gospel chapter 4, it, it says, Then when Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, which was his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath. As usual, that means, means that it was his habit to go as, with everybody else to the place of, of worship and learning. And he stood up there and he read the Scriptures. And it says in verse 17 that the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. And he took the scroll and he unrolled it. And he found the place in Isaiah chapter 61 where this was written. And Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Well, today is Easter, or as I like to call it, this is Resurrection Day. We are here today on Sunday. We gather on Sunday every week because Sunday was the day on which Jesus arose from the grave, and today, Easter, as every day should be, is Resurrection Day. And what Jesus announced that day when he went to his hometown synagogue, what he announced that day and read from the scroll of Isaiah is true for us on this day, today. And so when we look at what he said, we see that today is about good news. He said, the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news. When I was about uh, five years old, uh, my great-grandfather, Earl C. Pounds, came down from Idaho to Oklahoma, where we lived, to visit us. And um, I, I, I have uh, a couple of memories of him before he, he went to, to be with the Lord. I, I, ha I have this memory of him coming to us at that time, and he was sitting on the fireplace in our house there in Oklahoma City, and he was talking to me and my brother, and he was trying to teach me the tongue twister Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. Fuzzy Wuzzy had no hair. Fuzzy Wuzzy wasn't Fuzzy Wuzzy. Okay? Now, we, if, if you know that, uh, let's... No, we're not going to say that together. <laughs> what, I, what I didn't realize when Papa Pounds was saying those words to me, I didn't realize that he was being prophetic. I mean, I, I, I didn't grasp at five years old that what he was speaking over me was going to actually become, become true, that I would be one with no hair. But I, I remember also over the years my dad telling me about 
Papa Pounds on that visit that he made there, uh, preaching in our church. And my dad's told me many times about how my Papa Pounds, and when I say he stood up, that might be an exaggeration. He was about five foot four. But he stood up in our church and said this, his first words. He said, I have no evil report to bring, only good news. Only good news. I got some good news this week. Went to see the doctor on Monday, the orthopedic doctor on, on Monday. I, uh, I moved very slowly uh, as I went to the doctor and wasn't sure what kind of news I was going to receive, but they sent me down the hall. And uh, uh, most of y'all are too, too young to know who Tim Conway is, the comedian. And when he used to be on the Carol Burnett show and he would walk, and that was, that was pretty much my pace about that time. I went down the hall and had x-rays done and, and uh, came back and the doctor pulled up the x-rays on the computer screen and looked at it and nodded his head and uh, he turned around to me and, and he said, uh, got some good news for you. Um, your, uh, your last vertebrae right uh, next to your tailbone is broken. And I'm thinking, I don't think that's good news. Um, and he says, I want, you see it here? You, you see this? And he showed me this line right there between uh, in, in the middle of that last vertebrae. And then he got out a book and explained exactly here in color. Here's what's going on and here's what's happened. And he said, it's good news, though. No surgery. No surgery. He said, this is going to, I believe this is going to heal on its own. And he said, uh, I think... Um, I think I can, here's where it gets good news. He goes, I think I can have you back on the golf course by the first part of May. That's, that's good news for me. Maybe. And then he said, maybe even working out again by the middle of May. But then he, uh, he looked at me and he said, and I'm thinking he's maybe a little younger than I am, but he looked at me and he goes, but listen now, guys our age, there's some things that we don't need to be doing. And one of the things that you don't need to do going forward is frog hops with a 25-pound medicine ball. You just need to eliminate that out of your... That's what I was doing when, when this injury happened. He said, you just need to eliminate that out of your uh, exercise routine. But he said, I really believe. I really believe without surgery, you're going to be good. And he, he said, I'm going to send somebody in here, and they're going to they're measure you for a back brace. And if, a couple minutes later, this guy came in, and so that's why the shirt tails long today because this is what I'm wearing uh, for at least another eight days or so until I see the doctor again. And I want to thank you for your prayers and thank God for his touch on me. You see me walking around and moving around today and, uh, and feeling the music. And about 10 days ago, I couldn't get out of the bed um, and stand and walk. So I, I thank the Lord for that. Now this brace, hey, yeah, that's all right. This, uh, this brace that I'm wearing, I'm getting a little tired of it. Uh, it's a little binding. You can't eat as much when, when, this, uh, when this thing is, is, is tight here. Um, when you sit down for a long time, it begins to push up onto my rib cage, and it's just, it just gets worrisome, but I'm supposed to have this thing on uh, 24 hours a day unless I'm, unless I'm uh, taking a shower, and, and it's a little restrictive and a little, little binding to the normal movement of life. 
I know it's for my good. But it made me think a little bit about this week about um, the, the binding things that we get ourselves into and the choices we make and the things we do and the, the baggage we pick up and ultimately we could even describe them as the chains that we put on ourselves. The chains that we put on ourselves when, when we sin. When we step outside God's good plan for us. When we decide we know better than He does. When we decide we're going to ignore His Word. When we decide we're going to ignore His will. We're going to do what we want to do. And we end up with chains. But today, Resurrection Day, is about chains being broken. Jesus declared in Luke chapter 4 when he read from the scroll of Isaiah, he said, He has sent me, the Lord has sent me, to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. Now most of the people that were listening to him that day wanted those words that they'd heard before. They wanted those words to mean well, that means our country's going to be free, that we're going to be free as a people, that we're going to overthrow our Roman conquerors, that, that we're, going to, we're going to have the power that our ancestors used to have. We're going to be free politically and in all those ways. But Jesus was thinking much bigger than that. And Jesus usually does think a lot bigger than we do. He wasn't thinking about that kind of freedom. He was thinking and talking about freedom for our souls. Mind, body, spirit. Who we really are and our lives. I met Craig when I was in uh, seminary. Around um, yeah, 20-something years ago. Well, is it getting closer to 30? I don't know, somewhere, somewhere in there. When I met Craig, he was around 30 years old. I was in my early 20s and... And uh, found out a little bit about Craig's story. He came from a wealthy background. His, um, his father was a very successful guy in the Kansas City area. And, and Craig himself, he'd had some really early successes working and had done really well for himself. And uh, not only did he have a little excess income, he started living a little bit excessive lifestyle. He started partying pretty hard and eventually got into drugs and the spiral went down like it does and... And pretty soon, Craig had lost all that. Lost his marriage, lost his job. And he was even down to the point where in desperation for money in order to get drugs, he went into a couple of convenience stores with a paper bag and a hairbrush like this. And after the second attempt, he was caught and arrested for armed robbery. And of course, the uh, drug charges came in and all kinds of stuff like that and and uh, things were looking really really tough for Craig I said that his father had had some money turns out he had a little bit of influence too and he started trying to use his connections to get Craig's charges reduced or maybe even dismissed and uh, it was going through the system and you know the system can be slow anyway and then when you got somebody with influence and knows somebody and they're trying to make things happen it kind of slowed down, and, and during that period in, in Craig's life when he was wondering whether or not he was headed to, to prison or not, somebody from the church we were attending, Kansas City First Church of the Nazarene, 
somehow reached out to Craig, and just to make a long story short, Craig came to Christ. He came to Christ, and, and, and Jesus transformed his life, and, and he began to live sober and was staying in recovery, and, and somebody even found him a job at the Nazarene Publishing House. It wasn't anything like the jobs he'd had before, but it was, it was a job and income, and he was, you, you would see him at church, and he was involved, and, and he, was, he was staying sober, like I said, and all of these good things were happening. Months went by, and it looked like pretty much everything was going to go away except they just couldn't get past the armed robbery charges. It's like there's no way we're going to get around that. And, and it looked like prison was imminent for Craig. And it was during that period when sitting down at lunch, my, my friend Rick said to Craig, he said, man, Craig, I don't want you to go to jail, man. I just can't hardly think about that. It, it's hard for me to deal with thinking about you being behind. I don't want that for you. And Craig looked back at him and he said, it's okay, man. It's all right. He said, you need to realize, whatever happens, I'm free. He said, Jesus has set me free from the drugs, from the shame. He said, he's setting, him, he's, he's setting me free from myself. So even if I end up behind bars, listen to me. Look at me. I'm free, man. Today, Resurrection Day, is about breaking chains. And today is also about, listen to this, it's about today. Today is about today. Look at somebody next to you and say, that is profound. That is impressive. What a statement. Now listen, it really is. In these verses that Jesus was reading from Isaiah and announcing, he's saying salvation is here and now. It's not just something way out there, something in the sky. It's not, it's salvation is here today. I used to go to this restaurant in Oklahoma. And uh, um, it had this sign on the wall in the restaurant that, that I remember seeing several times. And, and it's a sign that I'm sure is in a few other establishments around the country. Maybe you've seen uh, this sign in, in other places. It's a sign of promise. It's a sign that, that said this, free beer tomorrow. <laughs> you seen that? Free beer tomorrow. Have you seen that sign? Now, I've been to, I've been to that place numerous times over the years. And the truth is, I don't think there's ever been any free beer dispensed there. Because if there's free beer tomorrow, there really is no free beer. Does that compute? you follow that? Sometimes Christians, sometimes people who embrace and believe in the crucified and risen and soon returning Jesus... Sometimes we're accused of believing of, of pie in the sky, of, of, of some great reward in the distant future, and it's kind of like the carrot on the stick out in front of us that helps us get by through life. But the truth is, when we come to Christ, we discover that eternal life 
begins now. It begins now. That eternity. You see, do you realize this? Eternity is not lots of time. Eternity is not a long time. In eternity, there is no time. It's outside of time. It's greater than that. And so Jesus wasn't coming in and saying, someday, way out there in the who knows where, everything's going to be okay. He was saying, today is the day for freedom, for life. Jesus said, in reading from Isaiah, in verse 19, he said, The time of the Lord's favor has come. There's another translation of that that says, I'm here to proclaim that the year which everyone has been waiting for has come. You think about all the things that, that you're hoping for, that you're waiting for, that you'd like to see happen in your life, that time that you're looking for. Jesus was saying, what everybody's been waiting for, looking for, wanting, has come. The greatest blessing and favor that God could give, the time has come. It's finally here. And some of you are thinking, you mean this is the year that the Astros are going to win the World Series? Some of you are really desperate and you're going, you're telling me the Chicago Cubs are going to win the World Series? I don't know if God's that powerful or not. Um, <laughs> no, that's, that's not what I'm saying. The time, the thing that everyone's waiting for, what is it? What we're all looking for, whether we say it or not, whether we identify it this way or not, what we all want is God's ultimate blessing and presence and goodness, the best thing that we could ever hope for to be realized in our lives. Jesus said, and the time of the Lord's favor, the year that everyone's been waiting for, has come. And then he sat down. That's what it says there in verse 20 of Luke chapter 4. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And it said that all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And one thing you need to know is that was actually the custom. The rabbi would sit down to teach or to preach, and the congregation would stand. How about if you think we could try that week after week? Look, I really, I really don't preach that long. It just, it just kind of feels that way. So it, it really wouldn't be that bad. And we maybe, maybe we'll try it sometime. He sat down. All eyes looked at him intently. And then he began to speak to them. And he said this. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. All that stuff about the good news, the freedom, the lifting of oppression, the year of God's favor, the time of God's favor. Jesus said, it's a reality today. He was saying that because he was there. And what I'm telling you today, just as Jesus was there physically that day and those people heard him speak those words, 
I'm declaring and I'm believing and I believe many of you believe this same thing today and that's why we believe in the resurrection of Jesus we believe that Jesus just as he was physically there that day now by the power of the risen Christ the presence of his Holy Spirit he is here right now and we embrace this and say yes today this very day is the time this is the moment when God is present in my life and because of the resurrection because he's present with us I believe today is about new beginnings new beginnings I don't know what uh, you got you got you, do you have a favorite Harrison Ford movie I mean, Harrison Ford's getting a little old now, but man, he's made a lot of movies. Some of you may be thinking way back to the first Star Wars. What was his name in Star Wars? Han Solo, okay. And way back when he was young and handsome. And then, and then maybe some of you are really into the Indiana Jones trilogy, those movies. Those, those first two or three were really good. That one he made a few years ago, the comeback, that was awful. That was, that was a stinker. I wanted my money back on that one. That wasn't good. Some of you may like him a lot in the, in the you remember the, uh, the, the, where he plays Dr. Jack Ryan, the CIA doctor? Those movies made the Tom Clancy novels like Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. I like that one a lot. That's, that's a good one. Or Witness, you know, where he's the cop and the whole thing, and he goes into the Amish community and, and all that, and he, he hits the guy who puts ice cream on his nose and all that, that stuff. You know, your favorite Harrison Ford movie. Well, we think of him in a lot of different ways, but... He made this movie that's probably not all that, that popular out there that's different. It's not an action movie at all. It, it's a movie called Regarding Henry. And, and, and in that movie, it, it tells the story where he plays this character named Henry Turner. He's a very successful lawyer in, in New York City. And uh, he, he's moving up the food chain and, and just doing great and very wealthy and powerful and all of that. And he has very little time for his family doing his thing. And he does whatever it takes to win a major court case, including maybe selling a little bit of his soul a piece at a time, support his elaborate lifestyle, and keep kind of feeding his ego. But his life changes drastically when he goes into a convenience store for something, and there's this, this uh, young guy comes in there to, to rob the place, and, and Henry ends up getting shot in the chest and in the head. And after those, those injuries, the, the doctors are able to, to, uh, to save his life, but he requires months of hospitalization and rehab and therapy. And here's the catch from his brain injury, from the gunshot wound there. He has no memory of his life. He doesn't remember his wife. He doesn't remember his daughter. He doesn't remember the attorneys that he worked with. And they try to... They try to help him get into this sort of program of re regaining his, his memory and reclaiming his identity. And so they say, you know, these are the clothes you wear. This, these are the foods you like to eat. This is, this is who you know. This is what you do. This is what your life is. Physically, he has to learn to walk again at the same time. And so it's a very difficult thing trying to, to, to regain all of this. And, and in the process... He discovers something about himself that wasn't true before, and that's that he really loves his family. He loves his wife, loves his daughter, even loves the dog. 
and before in his other in his in his real life before his family was more like they were just more like roommates and strangers to him and there's this scene in the movie where 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 he he comes to his wife and he says to her I'm sorry I'm really sorry you see what he's discovered as he's begun to regain knowledge of his past life is that his wife was unfaithful to him. And he's really crushed by that. But then the truth shows that he was unfaithful to her as well. And he finds out that as an attorney in one of his big cases, he withheld some evidence that kept a critically ill patient from receiving the care that would have changed their life. And so when he comes to his wife and says, I'm sorry, there's a lot wrapped up in that. And then he says to her, he says, I don't like my clothes. I don't like the food that you give me. I don't like my job and the people there. He said, I don't like my life. And I'm sorry. And I don't want that. I just want to love you and for us to have a family. He basically said, I want to start over. I want a new beginning. When I was in high school, I had a teacher. This only happened once, but I had a teacher where everybody in the class, including me, failed the test that she gave. I mean, the whole class failed the test. But the good news was she came in a couple of days later and she said, all right. We're going to retake the test. And what, what you scored on that last one, it's totally wiped out. It's a clean slate. Everybody gets to retake the test, and now you know what to study for. So here you go. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? What if, what if today, What if this very day, what if today you could have a retake? What if today you had a second chance? What if, what if today you could start fresh? What if today the things that have you bound up, tied up, the things that weigh you down, you're trying to carry around and you're not doing too well with it in fact not at all what if what if today those things could be could be broken what if the burden could be lifted what if today you let go of those things and reach for Christ and what if today you could be free